0: We have weekly engaging conversations with today's most influential thought leaders and entrepreneurs as they discuss their successes, failures, tipping points, and other priceless information that you can apply immediately after listening. And welcome to the show, good to have you right here. It is Ambitious Radio, hosted by our friend Doug Parker, talking about entrepreneurship and leadership while interviewing interesting people and what makes them ambitious. Now, you know, the show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, grasshopper.com, the entrepreneur's phone system. You know, most of the time, small business owners need to personally guarantee any loans that their companies take out. That can be kind of tough to do if you have credit issues. So if you have less than perfect credit, go to repairmycreditnow.com for a free credit report evaluation, repairmycreditnow.com. Doug, what do we have going on today?
1: today we've got another exciting guest. We've got Jen Briney. She is the host of Congressional Dish, a twice-monthly podcast exposing secrets drowned out by partisan noise in the United States Congress by interpreting legislation, summarizing congressional hearings, And following the money, Jen analyzes the actions of Congress that are generally ignored by corporate media, delivering the information from the perspective of a fed-up taxpayer who bears no allegiance to any political party or ideology. Jen, how are you? Welcome to the show.
2: I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks so, so much for having me.
1: Well, I'm excited about having you on. You know, I'm always intrigued, you know, by our government and how it works, and you know, sometimes the system can be very, very frustrating, which sounds kind of like, I guess, you know, kind of where you came up with the, the show and whatnot. But before we jump into that, let's talk just a little bit about you. I mean, what did I leave out in the intro? I mean, who are you? Where are you from? And what else do you do other than the, the podcast?
2: Well, the podcast is my full-time job. Um, outside of that, I like to play kickball and go for long walks on the beach. And... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I'm living in California. I'm just outside the Bay Area. My husband is a solar power engineer in San Francisco and we can't afford San Francisco. So we live in Walnut Creek. And um, I do the podcast out of my living room because that's how us podcasters do things. And yeah, I've been at this now for four years
1: goodness gracious four years so what led you to to use the the media outlet of a podcast Um, you know you said this is what you're doing full-time so um, you know what what how did you kind of get into saying I want to do podcasting as opposed to maybe writing or or something else
2: well I actually had tried blogging for a little while and first of all I mean I was okay at it I I'm a good writer I just don't particularly enjoy it so when I thought like what do I want to do for the next 40 years of my life it definitely wasn't sitting down and writing Um, But another thing about podcasting is that podcasting allows me to let people hear things that are going on in the halls of Congress for themselves. So if there's an interesting exchange in a hearing, instead of me having to summarize it, I can just give them the audio. And so my podcast actually has a lot of things that aren't me in it because I'm playing clips from hearings and forums and the the House and Senate floor. And I just feel like it's far more powerful for someone to experience something with me as opposed to hearing me me explain what happened and so that power is what made me go into podcasting I have considered branching out into video at some point but right now um, I just can't handle the extra workload that comes along with video but I do think that that could be in congressional just future at some point too
1: cool well that's 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 very interesting now have you always been a political junkie and or is this something that has recently come about tell me how you actually decided that uh, the political side of things is where you wanted to lean
2: No, I wasn't at all, actually. And um, I, to escape a, a tough breakup, I decided to go to Germany and study abroad for a semester. And so in the spring of 2003, I was living in Bonn, Germany. And in the spring of 2003, my country started a war. And so that was a really interesting experience for me because it affected our day to day lives in ways that I had never anticipated. Like, Like, when you go into a bar in Europe, you can hear a group of Americans from a mile away. So everyone knew we were Americans. And everywhere we went, people were asking us about the war. Why is this happening? What do you understand? And I was so embarrassed that I knew nothing. And so it was really that social aspect of not understanding what was going on that made me start watching the news while I was there. Plus, I had to watch the news to see if we were in danger of having to go home. I mean, it really affected our day-to-day lives. And so that's the first time I started really asking questions and then the answers only led to more and more questions. And then when I came home from from that experience, I was expecting it to be exactly the same here and it really wasn't. I went back to my friends who were not only not talking about the war, but they were all talking about the movie Old School. I'll never forget that. And I was like, don't you guys realize what just happened? Like, Did anyone discuss this? And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, No one was paying any attention. And then when I started watching the news, the content was so different. It was never something that I had even thought of before that maybe our news wasn't giving us all the information. And so being able to compare what I was getting overseas to what I was getting at home, I just became kind of obsessed with trying to understand what was going on here. And here I am 13 years later still trying to understand what's happening.
1: Gotcha. So now... So the news you say that you got overseas was different now. So I've, I've traveled a little bit and, and maybe it's just because I'm a creature of habit. You know, I tune into Fox News or, or CNN or whatever, wh- wherever I go. Um, so is what 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 are the other outlets that you tuned into that you saw something different?
2: So I was depending a lot on the BBC But then also in, so when I was living there, I was living with a German family and they would just watch German local news. And so I would sit next to my German host mother and she would translate what the news was saying. So I actually have a specific moment where I realized that the news was not compatible. It took a few years to play out, but I was sitting with um, Elka, what's her name? Elka and I were watching the speech that George W. Bush gave, gave where he said that You know, Saddam Hussein was going to Niger to get uranium. And so they went to a commercial break and they immediately came back and said, We have sources out of Great Britain that says that this is not true. And I just went, Okay, (laughs) you know, like that's information, whatever, put it in my brain. And then three years later, a CIA agent was outed. Her name was Valerie Plame because her husband was reporting on the British intelligence that was saying that that claim wasn't true. So here in the United States, three years later, the fact that that information was getting out to the American public was such a big deal. Yet I had known it for three years, as had other people in other countries. And that was a big moment for me when I realized that. There were things that the rest of the world knew that we didn't, and that was a big turning point in my life when I when I found that out.
1: Sure. Now today, are you? I'm assuming that you watch the BBC, the BBC from time to time, and and are you comparing it to what's on the the news here in town, uh, or how do you reconcile that now?
2: So I don't watch TV to get my news. I don't even have cable, so that's actually really helped me to not get sucked into the the media themes Um, And what I will do is like if there's an international incident, so for instance, there was that guy that mowed down all those people in Nice. I tuned into France 24, their media via the internet. So I will go to international sources when I have to, but most of the time I'm doing reading to get my news. And um, because I discovered that the television in particular is just such a terrible source for news, um, I read primary documents. That's how I got the idea for Congressional Dish. It was just because I kept, it's like I'm one of those people I will trust you until you give me a reason not to and so I was just crossing off all of these these lists of publications and people and I was crossing off so many names I was like you know what I have to read the documents for myself and so that's where I got to be where I am today watching hearings and reading bills and reading congressionally prepared reports because I don't trust very many people to give me my news to be completely honest.
1: Yeah, no that that makes perfect sense. Now I'm probably one of those guys that that uh, just takes for granted. I, you know, I watch, like I said, watch the news or or what have you, and uh, but I don't watch a bunch a bunch of TV. Um, so I am sure with all the research that you're doing, you're reading these primary documents. Um, can you give me an example of what you're talking about in, in that scenario?
2: Well, like for instance, there's. So there's a bill that recently came out that the media has been saying that it allows the 9/11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia, and that is the meme that's gone out. It's all about Sino- not. It's all about Saudi Arabia, right? When you read the actual bill, the word Saudi Arabia doesn't appear in it anywhere. It actually allows people to launch lawsuits all over the world. So it's like any country that seems to be involved in terrorism within the United States, we could sue them. But then there's also things in that bill that allow the Justice Department and the State Department to stop those lawsuits. And so when you actually look into these bills, they're drastically different than what we're being told in the media. If you were to ask someone about that bill right now, they would tell you it's all about Saudi Arabia. And so it's stuff like that, that I like to look and see what's actually going on. And so often what's being reported is it's people reporting on things that they're hearing from other people instead of actually going and reading the bills themselves. And so um, that's just one example out of, God, so many <laughs> of, of me finding out that things just aren't what they seem.
1: Sure, sure. No, absolutely. So so let me ask you this, in in just kind of on a personal note, so over the past, let's say, five years, maybe, maybe 10 years, or you said it was 13 you've been kind of processing through this, but what's an example of something that you felt really strongly about this way And then maybe you've kind of pivoted 180 degrees, just, you know, new information, new decisions.
2: Great question. Um, One that happened recently was genetically modified foods. So I bought into a lot of the things that I had read about them being dangerous for my health. And so, for instance, I stopped eating corn for years and years and years because it was genetically modified. And and then I started eating corn again when I could get non-GMO corn from whole foods. Like I was really into avoiding GMOs. So then I read a bill about GMO labeling. Um, Vermont had passed a law requiring that all manufacturers label any foods that have GMOs in them. But through reading that bill, I found out there is no definition of genetically modified foods. So I'm not exactly sure what they're labeling. But then by talking to a friend of mine who's a scientist who actually sat down with me and we went through the bill together, I found out that it's actually not like there's really no scientific basis for being afraid of genetically modified foods. And I looked through all the studies myself, just trying to find one legitimate one that said that the foods themselves were dangerous for us and I couldn't find it. What I did find, however, is that there's a lot of connections that people are upset with the pesticides applied to GMO foods. So for instance, a GMO food could allow a plant to withstand having a lot more pesticides applied to it. And so that's what people are afraid of. They're afraid of the pesticides, but the GMO foods themselves, there's no scientific evidence to back up that they're unsafe for our health. So I went from really being afraid of eating genetically modified foods to now the non-GMO thing means nothing to me. Like I'd eat anything at this point. So that, that was a big one. And for years I was afraid of that. So, um, so yeah, it definitely has changed my mind once I actually look into the science and the data.
1: Very, very interesting. So let's talk, uh, again, a little bit more just kind of on some of your personal preferences. Do you, do you have any, any books that you really like or anything that's, that's, uh, kind of really helped to inform you, uh, that others could go out and read?
2: Yes, actually, the book that opened my eyes big time was called The Shock Doctrine. It was written by Naomi Klein. And what she did is she looked into how big moneyed interests, like big multinational corporations, use disasters in order to go into places and get laws enacted in their favor that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. So like, for instance, um, let's say a hurricane hits an island country. I mean, this this has happened. And so while the people are looking for their loved ones and just trying to pick up the pieces of their lives, these companies will go in and partner with corrupt people in the government to get laws enacted that allow big hotel chains to open up on land that they couldn't get before because there were local fishermen that lived there. Well, their fishermen huts were just destroyed and so they take over the land and these big hotels go up. And that's just one example of many, 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 many examples that we have. And and through telling these stories, I just learned about this history of the United States that I never knew happened Where our government routinely goes into other countries, topples governments and interferes with their financial regulations in order to act on behalf of multinational businesses that want to go in there and use the resources of these these countries. And so now that I after that book, I was able to see that pattern. Um, The follow-up book to that was Confessions of an Economic Hitman who was the guy going into these countries and making these deals. And so he helped me understand. His name's John Perkins. He really helped me understand how that was physically done. And now that I understand that that's a geopolitical dynamic of our country, I'm seeing this pattern constantly, all the time in what I'm seeing going on in Congress. So that one just really helped me understand our place in this world. And unfortunately, it made me realize that we're not the good guys that we think we are, which is something I would really like for us to change. I truly believe in the myths I was taught as a kid. And I'm really angry that they weren't true and that we've been deceived in the way we are. So um, having my eyes open in that way has been a difficult thing. But now i feel empowered because i can watch the patterns happening in real time and now i feel like i can do something to change it
1: gotcha gotcha well that is great information for our ambitious listeners and if you like what you're hearing like us on facebook or follow us on twitter tune in after a brief word from our sponsors when we'll be talking more with jen about her career pursuits and her experience of being an ambitious entrepreneur right here on the ambitious radio network It's that time again, summertime. Kids are out of school, running around, having fun in the sun, leaving the doors open, trying to air condition the entire neighborhood. I just
2: got my first electric bill of the summer, and it is double what it was a few months ago. I can't wait for these kids to go back to school. Tired of paying outrageous electricity bills? Would you like to get a significant discount or get free electricity? Go to FreeElectricityDFW.com to compare our rates. Many of our clients are saving anywhere from
0: 15 to 20%. We also have a referral program that allows you to earn free electricity. You cannot beat free cents per kilowatt. Switch and save with FreeElectricityDFW.com. That's FreeElectricityDFW.com. We offer free energy credits to customers who refer and activate 15 or more qualified customers for our electricity service
2: and are not past due on their bill. To get your free energy credit, your customers must be referred through your free customer gathering websites. See FreeElectricityDFW.com for more details.
0: As we get back into the show, let's give a shout out to our great sponsors, all3reports.com. That's all, the number three reports with an S.com. You know, many people check their credit every three to five years when they're financing a home or maybe when they're purchasing a new vehicle. But if there is an issue, it could be too late to do anything about it. So go to all3reports.com to find out more. Speaking of a new vehicle, a wise person once said, lease what depreciates, buy what appreciates. So go to Autoflex Leasing. They offer a better way to lease your next car. America's largest independent leasing company is AutoFlex Leasing. Doug?
1: All right, we're back on the ambitious radio network and today we're speaking with Jen Briney and she is just opening my eyes with all this great information about Congress and the different laws and Um, you know, it sounds like some of the things that you see, you you, you, not that you would want to unsee them, but you're not happy with what you saw. So you did something about it. So let's, let's jump in and talk a little bit about your professional adventures. Um, how is it that you currently monetize? You said this is what you're doing full time. So how is it that you're monetizing your podcast and, and you're making it work for you?
2: Well, um, you heard that one of the, the things that really shaped my worldview is the experience of seeing the comparison of media from here to other places and then from, you know, what we hear in the media to the primary sources. And so one of the things that I have been very conscious of is that the way the media is currently funded, especially the television and newspapers and radio is through advertising. And I find that to be a very corrupting funding model when you're talking about news because you have financial interests in not Putting certain information out if it hurts your customers, which are the companies that are advertising on your network. So a pharmaceutical industry is a perfect example of this. You might not go as far deep into a story about pharmaceutical companies price gouging people if those pharmaceutical companies are the same ones that are buying the spots on your, your, um, your network and paying for your hosts. So I didn't want to get into that whole game. I just find it corrupting and I I just don't want that to happen to Congressional Dish. And so my funding model is called the value for value model in which I just tell people that they should contribute whatever they think is fair. And it's been so interesting to me since doing this by letting people determine what the price is for themselves how much it varies. So I have people that will contribute like a dollar a month. I have a guy that contributes $250 per month. Um, I have people that will send in $5 every time they really were blown away by an episode. I have people that will send in $1,000 once a year. So it's really been fun for me to watch how people are pricing my product for me. And what I love the most about my funding model is that it's complete editorial freedom on my part. And so where I do have to touch on, God, every subject, and I'm not an expert in any of it, you know. I have to do research and I have to understand and I um, I put sources, everything I do in the, the show notes so people can check my work and do their own research – But what's been super fun for me is that I'm able to say anything I want and my listeners know that there is no native advertising. I'm not telling you that this book is good or this product is good because I'm being paid for it. They know that when I tell you I like something, it's because I actually like it because I just dismiss all of that, um, that advertising. And so it's actually helped me build trust in addition to being a sustainable funding model for something like, like congressional
1: dish. So, so let me ask you this because this is something that I um, have have looked at for for years in a um, kind of in a in a church model. So, at churches, there are some churches out there, you know, they quote unquote pass the plate every week, and there's some that kind of the same thing. They're like, hey, look, we're not here to. It's not a fundraiser, you know what I mean. So, like, there's boxes you can drop your money out, you know, on the way out of the door if you feel led to do so. However, in the same church with the same people, if you pass the plate every week, you get something like 40 or 50% more money because it's just a process that you go through. And and why is that way? I don't know. So have you, is is it something that is sustainable? Is it something that um, you look at as a long term way to make a living? Is it a struggle or is it kind of like overwhelmingly been good, uh, you know, a good model and you're making tons of money? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is it it a struggle Mm -hmm. or is it working out great?
2: So it's been a progression in okay. the beginning. It's, it was definitely a struggle. I mean, it was so inconsistent that I wouldn't know if I had a hundred dollars coming in for this episode or if I had, you know, 200 and it, it cost me money cause I can't, it's just too big of a workload. So I do pay people to produce these, each episode. So there was a time where I didn't even know if I could afford my audio engineer and I actually had to cut back from weekly episodes to twice a month just because I was bleeding money. So that, that, that whole thing was difficult. But now that I'm at a place where my podcast is, it's actually quite popular. um, Even though it does vary wildly from month to month, there's a basement now. So the fact that I know that I have a certain amount of money that I can depend on, and subscribers have been huge in this regard, the people that contribute monthly, those are the ones that are allowing me to budget. And so now that I have a certain amount that even if a couple of people cancel because I say something they don't like or whatever, I know that I can afford a certain amount. So it's getting much better. So for people that are thinking about doing it this way, it took me four years to get here. So it was a long road. But now that it's established, and I do think it's sustainable, and in fact, I think a few years from now, I'm going to be making quite a bit of money. But it took a long time to build. It took a lot of patience. It took a lot of financial um, insecurity to get here. But if you have the tenacity and you have a product that really does have value, long term, this is a beautiful funding model. So it, it's not right for everybody, but where i'm I'm gonna do this for hopefully the rest of my life,, um, yeah, I'm going to be just fine. So it's like, it's, the answer is kind of both. It was really hard and now I love it.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, and, and you and I have both been on Entrepreneur on Fire on, on uh, John Lee Dumas' show and he, you know, publicizes his, you know, the money that comes in each month and he talks about, you know, some of the ups and downs. Um, and from a model to follow for the quote unquote average podcaster, there's very few out there that would not like to be in his shoes. Um, having yeah. said that he, he does promote stuff and he has all kinds of different things that he does. And so that sounds like it's slightly different, you know, than, than your, than your model. Um, do you ever anticipate, um, a, a scenario where, um, you know, where you, you have funding or is, you think it's just going to be a voluntary subscription kind of model forever? Or do you, do you envision a standard and a premium top uh, subscription or just, just like, like it is right now, just forever?
2: So for the main show, it's going to stay like this forever. But one of the things that I am working on right now is setting up an app only for subscribers. So the people that are contributing contributing on a monthly or per episode basis, which I'm going to call the Congressional Dish Green Room. And back there is where I'm going to store stuff where I can just talk to my listeners, maybe do like Q&A sessions um that's where we can do cuz i did some facebook live like research sessions together which turned out really cool so i feel like i could do stuff like that that's less polished and just for us it can also be a place where i talk more freely about how much money i have coming in cuz i'm perfectly fine being transparent with my numbers with the people who are on my team but i have a lot of freeloaders too and i don't feel like they don't deserve to know my personal finances so i feel like it's going to be a safer space for me and only my community to be a bit more free- Free and what we talk about, and not diminish the quality of the main show. I also like the idea of having a place where I can have interviews with people because not every interview is interesting, but I can have interviews with people and then take out the most in- important stuff or the most in- like. It- amazing fascinating things and put those into my main show when it's appropriate for the topic so i am gonna have this subscriber only place just for my community at some point the other thing i'm looking into because um i don't know if you've heard of brian redband but he is the founder of a podcasting network mostly comedians but I I talked to him last week, and he was saying that he doesn't do advertising either. He makes money through merchandising, so 100%. So he does the podcasts for free, but those pe- bring people to his live events. And then he makes a lot of money in sending t- selling T-shirts and posters and, and stuff like that. So that's another funding model for me. So I do have a couple things that I'm, ta- that I'm thinking about doing right now. But as for funding the main podcast, I don't see why I would ever look for grants or funding or look for like a parent company to buy my show because then I lose my independence in which case what's the point I just became the mainstream media so I really just want to let Congressional Dish be what it is um maybe network out and get some state-based shows but I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing now I don't really see any need to change it
1: cool no that's just I you know I could only imagine um because I'm, I'm probably a little bit more on the I don't know if it's capitalistic side but it's more of a you know, charge, charge for it kind of a thing is, is what I would, you know, just generally think as it, you know, if it's what I was doing full time to, to support a family. And, you know, I hear about folks like yourself that take that risk and and they do it for years and it's, and it builds up and it's a very genuine, you know, authentic, uh, way to do it. But my goodness, it, it could be scary. And, uh, you know, kind of getting it up to speed to the point, especially for year after year after year. So when you're going through that process, were there any significant fears that you had?
2: Uh, You know, not really. (laughs) I know that that's not the answer that I should be giving right now. Like I should be telling you all my insecurities, but for some reason I just always felt like this was going to work. And um, maybe it's because I just was determined to make it work. But I just had this gut feeling that I couldn't be the only person in this country that wanted to know what was going on with the people making our laws. I just had this, like, gut feeling that was almost overpowering. I mean, this is what made me go down this path where I was just like, I really think I'm on to something here, and I think people will contribute to it. Now, I guess as far as fear is concerned the one thing that I am fearing is that it's going to make my life a little difficult because I'm already working ridiculous hours and I don't want to burn out. So that's really my biggest fear. Um, if anything, I feel like at some point I'm going to want to take less money and have more of my time back. So, um, but as far as like being afraid of it, like not working for some reason with this one idea, I've just always been really confident in it. And I can't explain to you why it's almost like a religious thing for me at this point where I was just like, this is going to work come hell or high water.
1: No, absolutely. uh, Well, that makes perfect sense. And and, and when you are that, you know, bent on, Hey, I'm going to succeed no matter what. And, and you're as authentic as you are and you're doing what you're doing and you're serving a purpose. And it's so diametrically opposed to everything else that's out there. It you know it it, it, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. It really really does. So you know, let me ask you this: If you could go back at any point in your life and give yourself kind of one piece of advice, um, what would it have been? When would you have done that, and kind of what were you doing at that time?
2: You know, if I wanted to have, I think what I would do is probably go back to like high school, where I was really worried about being popular and if people liked me and. I didn't really want to show that I liked reading, you know, because like the fifth grade, I won an award for how much pages I read. But then as I got a little bit older, I kind of put that side of me aside and spent more time just chasing the popularity ladder with people that I don't even talk to anymore. So I think I would probably go back to high school and just be like, admit to yourself that you're a nerd. (laughs) And at some points, people will like you because of it. Maybe not these people that you're trying to be friends with now, but like you will find your people. And I think that's so hard for younger people. I mean, it goes into college, too, and maybe even in the workplace. I think we never really graduate from high school. Um, But I just feel like trying so hard to be someone I'm not in order to please people, it just doesn't work. And with what I'm doing now, I've learned so many times that I'm never going to please everyone. There's always going to be an opinion that someone doesn't agree with because in this country, who agrees with anyone a hundred percent of the time? And so I have to have a thick skin and just kind of let the people that get angry about stupid things, I got to let them go. Not everyone is going to like me. And so where I'm doing something in the public eye now, that's a lesson that I wish I had internalized earlier because I probably would have had less times of crying and being upset about negative reviews and mean emails. And I'm getting more used to it now, but it still hurts me in a way that I wish I had built up a tolerance to younger in life.
1: Man, that is, that is really good information because you know, the reality is there's haters out there and the, the more people that love you, that means that there's some people on the other side of things that probably dislike it as much as, as the other ones do like it. And so it's great to have the everybody loves to be loved, but the other side of it can can really hurt. So great, great stuff for our ambitious listeners. And guys, if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe by texting the word ambitious to 69922, standard messaging rate supply. See the website for full details. And next we're going to be talking more to Jen about the ambitious things that she's doing now and what's next right here on the Ambitious Radio Network.
0: Back in here on the show. It's Ambitious Radio Network. Hey, are you thinking of expanding your business but don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a new phone system? Consider Grasshopper.com. You get to keep your existing number, you have multiple extensions, voicemails transcribed, and no new hardware. Grasshopper.com is the entrepreneur's phone system. Let's get back to the show with Doug Parker.
1: All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we got Jen Briney, and she is just, you know, doing great things, really drilling into, you know, what's going on in Congress, and what does it really mean, not just what the news is reporting, and... Um, really want to talk to you. You know, we talked a little bit about how you got into the business. We talked a little bit about kind of where it's going right now. You mentioned that you might, at one point, you know, do some video or something along those lines. But how do you determine what's next? I mean, what do you kind of envision? What do you have out there you're thinking about right now? And then how do you process through that while you're staying focused on what you're currently doing?
2: God, that's such a good question. And it's something that I'm really struggling with, to be honest, because every time I've changed the show, it's been out of necessity because I keep driving myself into the ground. I keep getting myself to the point of burnout and then I go a little crazy and then I make a change. So that that cycle needs to stop. And so when I think about doing anything extra, I now need to factor how much more work is it going to be for me? And the answer has to be kind of close to zero. Like, so with the green room, that's the type of stuff that I would want to do just anyway, and it can be less formal. So it's like where it can serve two purposes. Like I can watch a hearing and have commentary over it and then just throw that in the green room. So that's not extra work for me. It's something that I'm doing anyway. So that's why I'm willing to go in that direction. Um, I'm also thinking about doing live events and where that will be more work for me, it can also serve as episodes. So if I'm doing a live event and I get an episode out of it, then it's kind of a wash. It's not more work for me. It's just different work work for me. So that's kind of one of the things that I'm looking at now is like I can't keep pushing myself to the limit because it will make everything I'm doing unsustainable And so I'm hiring help for the stuff that I know that I need to do each and every week. And then once I have those systems in place, I feel like I can move one thing at a a time forward. So it's like before I can start doing live interviews, I feel like I need to have the green room up and going. So that's the next step. Once that's up and running, then I maybe will do some live events. Once that's up and running, maybe we'll start some merchandising. So there's steps too. Like I can't go and do all of this at once. I have to make sure that I'm not hurting myself in the process.
1: Right. Well, and and you mentioned you know um, hiring people and and things that are not sustainable and getting burned out. You know the reality is though, if you're not careful, the direction you're going it's, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the, the Jen Briney show, right? So if something happens, you go on vacation, um, you know, you get a sore throat, whatever the case is, um, it's, it's really dependent upon you. So you get this machine built up and this is one of the things as, as an entrepreneur, I know I've struggled with over the years where, you know, you kind of feel like you're the best at, these different things but you've got to let some of it go and sometimes people are better than you but sometimes they're not in that position you got to pay them for it it can be frustrating but you're kind of the talent so do you have a do you have any kind of a succession plan that you're thinking in your brain or or a growth plan where you can have other people doing other things or is it kind of really you till the end
2: no, I definitely want other people doing some of my stuff. So like the first thing that I, I hired out was the uh, the editing of my audio. And at, at the time, I was like, how am I going to portray what I want? But after a couple months, we were a well-oiled machine. The people that I hire, um, it's Daryl Darnell's company. It's called Pro Podcast Solutions. And they have been amazing with editing my audio. They do it better than I do. And it's so nice for me to have an entire day back because they're doing the editing of the show. So that was an amazing hire. Um, and then the other thing that I do, so when people do contribute to the show, I have a whole thank you section. So basically like the end of the show is always me thanking my listeners and they send me notes and I respond to those and it's as long as it needs to be. It's just a free form thing. And, um, I need to prepare my notes because I'll get notifications that someone paid and then I'll get an email from them, but I'll get emails from people that sent in a paper check or a book. So it's like organizing all that is a job in and of itself. And so that's what I'm currently trying to find the right person for. I did have an assistant for a while, she wasn't the right person. And so I'm trying to find the right fit. And that's been really tough for me because I've always been the employee and I'm a great employee. I'm not good at telling people you know, you miss this deadline, you need to do better. And so I need to work on my own managerial style. But I also think that I need to find someone who just is good at meeting deadlines. And so I need to do better with hiring. And so there's definitely a list of things that I know I'm not the best person for, but I'm really struggling with my own inability or not a inability, I'll get there, but my own inexperience in being the boss, because I'm not comfortable in being the position of having to be the disciplinarian.
1: Well, so. can you elaborate on that just a little bit so the disciplinarian is is part of it? But that's, you know, one of the things I've I've seen with entrepreneurs over the years and frankly with employees is nobody wants to be bossed around. Nobody, you know, likes that kind of a deal and the bosses that everybody loves sometimes can be ineffective cuz they don't drop the hammer when it has to be dropped. I mean, so there's there's different sides of every piece, and sometimes people have no problem dropping the hammer, but everybody hates them, and that's not good either. But that transition you go through. So some people, they jump out and, and become an entrepreneur or think they want to be one because they don't want to have a boss, and then they realize they don't have the structure from that a boss provides either, and, you know, what the nine to five structure and all those kinds of things. So uh, with that, with that transition, I mean, are there other pieces that you struggle with other than just being the boss and, and doing that, that, you know, the differences between those?
2: I mean, I'm not sure I really understand the question.
1: Well, you know, I guess, I guess to elaborate. So you said being the boss, you've struggled with a little bit, but are yeah. there specific parts of it that you've struggled with um as you went through that so you at one point were an employee and then for the last sounds like you know many years maybe 4 plus years you've been the boss so were there any specific situations or circumstances that you ran into that um you, you struggled with managing someone or managing a situation yeah
2: yeah so one of the problems that i just had um is that my assistant was a lovely person but i hired her because she was my friend's sister and so that required me to train her on everything she had to do. And she just needed more hands-on experience than I had time to give her. And the other thing is that with podcasting, there is no manual for this and the systems that I'm doing, I'm making up as I go. So what I didn't realize at the time is that I needed someone who was willing to design these systems for me. I should have hired someone who was experienced in doing this previously, but instead I hired someone that I liked and who was local And it just didn't work out because I would have to micromanage and that is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who takes less of my time, not more. And so because I wasn't willing to train her on things that I wasn't the best person to be training anyone on, um, now I know that I need to go and look for a professional and hire that way instead of hiring the person that's the most convenient. And so that, that was a real big struggle and it's hard too, because then there's also the interpersonal part of that of like, I like this person. I'm clearly friends with her brother, but like this isn't working out. So how do I break off this relationship in a way that, that works um, and allows the friendships to stay there. So I learned a lot of lessons in that hire. She was only here for six months and she was a lovely person, but, um, But yeah, I did a bad job in the hiring process. I didn't do my due diligence and I paid for it
1: you know that's uh that's real interesting and that happens a lot of times and you know i've heard that you know lessons uh sometimes are better are bought than taught so you buy a couple of them and you, then you slow down the process a little bit and decide i've got to do something a, a little bit different uh, so ambitious times here and you know as we hear uh, a brief word from our sponsors because we do have to have sponsors to pay for our show here um we'll be discussing more with jen and what she does to recharge her ambitious body mind and spirit right here on the ambitious radio network
2: Here's another RepairMyCreditNow.com story.
0: Home ownership. It's the American dream. It's a goal you've always hoped to achieve. You've spent countless weekends looking for the perfect house on the ideal block. The rates are low and you've saved enough for the down payment. Unfortunately, now the mortgage company says there's a little hitch. Okay, let's be honest. It's a gigantic, gargantuan hitch. It's your credit. And it looks like your estimated house payment will be (laughs) a lot www.repairmycreditnow.com And we're back in here on the show. It's Ambitious Radio Network, recharging the ambitious mind, body, and spirit made possible by repairmycreditnow.com. You know, having bad credit can be really draining. It's okay to not be okay as long as you're on the road to being okay. Let repairmycreditnow.com help get you back on track. You know, many of our ambitious listeners prefer to listen to books as opposed to reading them. Now, with that, we've teamed up with Audible.com to offer you one free audio book. Just go to AmbitiousRadio.com, click on the Audible banner on the page to find out more. Back to the show now with Doug Parker.
1: All right, we're back on the Ambitious Radio Network, and today we're talking to Jen Briney, successful entrepreneur and really just... Pod, successful podcaster really making it happen she derives her income from what you know someone thinks she's worth they they send in a check to her so i'm talking about walking on a high wire with no net but because she does such a great job she's able to make it sustainable and it's working for her to so you know with that being said let's talk about you know what you do and, and what what drains you what fills you and then how do you recharge that ambitious body mind and spirit
2: Well, I'm definitely one of those people because I was never like this before. I was never a workaholic, but I've become one now because it's my baby. And so I've learned that I really need to walk away sometimes. And um, so like the next time I do this, and this is what's really keeping me alive right now, is that I'm going to have nine days in an all-inclusive resort in Mexico over Thanksgiving. And I'm turning off my phone. I am not watching TV. Like I am just checking Out And that's the type of stuff that I have to do to recharge my batteries, especially where my topic and being the U S government in these, these times, it's not a happy thing. So, um, so just getting away from it is really good. And on a week to week basis, I play kickball on Thursday nights with my best friends and, um, I have Raiders season tickets. So I just do things that have nothing to do with politics in general, when I'm not working, I am not paying attention to politics at all. Um, I don't watch the debates, Um, so I, I just get away from it as much as I possibly can. And I know that's, yeah, I just think that it's so important to have a life outside of work.
1: Yeah. No question about it. So now on this, this nine day unplug and recharge kind of a environment, you said you're going to Mexico. Where are you going?
2: So I'm going to Puerto Vallarta because last March I really lost my mind. I was working too much and I was doing weekly episodes and I couldn't afford it. I couldn't sustain it. And, um, my best friend lives in Boston and he was going to come and visit. And he was like, why don't we just go somewhere warm? So on six days notice, we got tickets to Puerto Vallarta. And what was amazing is that getting through their airport was the easiest international experience of my life. Like from the time it was wheels down to getting into my hotel, it was 55 minutes, and that includes a 20-minute cab ride. Whoa. So it was such an amazing experience. And then when we got there, it was my first all-inclusive. So it's so nice to go traveling with a friend and not have to be like, well, you get this round, I'll get that round. Like, we If we were hungry, you just went and ate. And if we want a drink, we just went and got a drink. And it was so nice. Everything was taken care of for us. And when I vacation, I like to play a lot of volleyball, which they have. I like to sit by the pool, I like to read. I'm not someone who really wants to go and see the sights, so I expect to spend nine days at the resort and I cannot wait, I'll surf a lot. Um, but I just want to chill and all inclusives are the best way to do that there's no logistical problems there
1: well I'll tell you what if you don't make it as a podcast or you could be a spokesperson for all inclusive resorts because that was a pretty uh that was a pretty good job there
2: <laughs> yeah don't tempt me
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that is great stuff now um are you much of a traveler I mean do you, do you get to do that very often or do you have favorite places that you like to go in general
2: So, yeah, I I travel all the time. I really love it. And my husband and I just made a pact that once a year we're going to get out of the country. And um, because we have been pretty bad about it the last few years, but it's just because we've been in a pretty nasty financial situation. And so now that our funds are getting back to, you know, where we can travel more regularly, um, we are going to go out of the country Uh, at least once a year. And then I travel all over the United States all the time. I have a huge family. We're all over the country. And then I go to a lot of the podcasting conventions, pretty much anything to do with podcasting. I like to make an appearance at this point in my career because those are my coworkers. You know, it's the strangest thing in podcasting because it's at the same time, the most social and yet the most lonely job I've ever had because my day to day experience is by myself with people that don't understand what my life is like. And, um, and then I go to these podcasting conferences and everyone feels the exact same way. So for me to have a community, it's really important for me to make time and go to these things. And so, you know, I'm so close to having a Southwest a list. <laughs> I have just a few more flights that I have to squeeze in this year, but I'm getting to the point where I'm traveling all the time and I truly, truly love it. And, um, the place I go the most often is probably Los Angeles just cause that's where my parents are. And, um, and really that's the hub of podcasting. I didn't realize it until recently, but like the comedy store has a podcasting studio in the basement as does the ice house, which is another comedy store. So there's really amazing things happening in Los Angeles for podcasters. And I want to be in it as much as I possibly can.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's, that's really good stuff. Now, how about rest? I mean, you're high energy, you got a bunch going on and and you're grinding it out, reading a bunch of documents. I mean, that stuff would put me to sleep. But what does a, what does an average day like look like for you? What time do you get up? What, you know, how does the day kind of progress? Any habits you have? And then how much sleep do you get a night?
2: You know what's funny is I sleep a lot. Really? <laughs> I sleep. My friends talk about like how much I sleep and how ridiculous it is because I go to bed at usually around ten and I don't get up until like eight eight thirty. And there's two reasons for getting up so late. Like one is that I truly love to sleep. And the other one is that my husband, because we have a one bedroom and the office is our living room, The mornings are the only time that the apartment is his. So I like to stay in bed until 830 because that's when he leaves to go to work and then I get up and then it's my apartment. But for at least those morning hours, it's his. And if I'm up ahead of time, I can be on Twitter and reading articles and sending stuff to myself. I mean, I can work from bed on my phone. And so if I'm up any earlier, that's what I'll do. But I stay in bed more than just about anybody I know.
1: (laughs) Really? Wow. Yeah, that's that's cool that you can do that. I mean, it's cool that you you know there's some ups and downs. You talked about kind of the isolation and you know of the of the job, but then you know there's things that you can do because of what you do that you can do your job in bed and 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 those kind of things.
2: And that was one of the motivations for getting into this, because when I worked a corporate job and they forced me to be dressed and pretty every day by 9 a.m. And if I was done with my work, because I'm a binge worker. So like when I'm reading bills, I'll probably sit down and bust out for four hours and like really focus for four hours. And then I do something else. And that didn't really work in the corporate structure because they just wanted me there from nine to six. It didn't matter if I was done by noon. And so working really hard was actually disincentivized by that structure. And I would find myself just spreading out the work that I had to do because if I focused that hard, I would just get more work than everybody else. So I was just really resentful of them taking my time the way they did. And I was just like, you know what, in whatever I want to do with the rest of my life, I wanted to determine my hours so that I can binge work the way that really does work for me. And so being able to sleep as much as my body wants to, I think that's what allows me to work as much as I do. It's because I'm, I'm taking care of myself in that way and that means that I can put myself into my work and not waste any time
1: yep yep that makes that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times people they gotta they gotta drag out their day to drag it out over eight hours and you know and other people get in there and they just crank and they work hard you know the whole entire time and and it's you know what's the end result but you you know if you're if you're the kind of person like you said that wants to binge and really grind it out um and then you just stick around for the rest of the day it's like you can't go at a hundred and ten percent a hundred ten percent of the time so
2: Yeah. And you end up wasting not only your time, but the company's time, you know? So it's like, I want to work for four hours and then go exercise, but instead I have to wait until after. And then the company is paying me for four hours that like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting there. So... It doesn't work for anybody.
1: Yep. no, that's, that brings up a very, very good point. Well, I'll tell you what, I am so appreciative of the time that you've invested with us today out of your very busy schedule to to come on the, the radio program and and share, you know, some of the things that you're doing to be successful and, and kind of open our eyes to some of the things in Congress. So I definitely encourage folks to, to tune in to your show, to Congressional Dish, and, you know, get their, their ears and eyes open to what all is going on out there in the world world. And um, if, if people wanted to engage with you other than listening to the podcast, how, how would they go about doing that?
2: Well, I'm the most easy to reach on Twitter. Um, my name's Jen Briney at Jen Briney is my Twitter handle, B-R-I-N-E-Y. And then I'm less active but available on Facebook on the Congressional Dish Facebook page. And then you can always email me at Jen at if you want to discuss anything.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been a great one. I've learned a bunch of stuff, and and I hope our ambitious listeners have gotten a lot out of it as well. Because you know what goes on in Congress absolutely affects small business owners. It affects employees. It affects um, entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, if you're asleep at the wheel and you're just letting someone else, you know, run things, it really puts you in a in a in a real real uh, tough position. So thanks for us uh, for spending some time with us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: You got it, ma'am. Well, remember, tune in Wednesdays to Ambitious Radio, where we interview thought leaders and exciting entrepreneurs changing the faces of their organizations. Remember, you can make money or you can make excuses, but you cannot make both. So go out there and be ambitious.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ambitious Radio Network, hosted by serial entrepreneur Doug Parker. Join us weekly as we have engaging conversations with ambitious entrepreneurs and thought leaders on topics that can be applied immediately after listening. Like what you've heard? Listen to other interviews at ambitiousradio.com or subscribe on iTunes.